Hi, welcome to Going Off Track. Hi, I like your hat. Thank you, Brad. It's finally time for me to break out my winter hat. It's getting cold out there. Don, I know it. I came over the bridge yesterday on my bike with cold hands yeah. because I couldn't find my riding gloves because... You haven't used them in so long. I haven't used them in so long. They're like packed away somewhere. Yeah. So, I imagine hands. your apartment for some reason being incredibly organized. Oh! <laughs> Just judging by the studio instead of by your. Uh, that's nice of you to say. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have my wife listen to this podcast. Yeah, our apartment's a mess. I I, <laughs> I find that sort of hard to believe, or I think also think like mess. People say like their place is a mess. I feel like it's very relative. Oh, our place is full. We lo- it looks like well, you have two kids, so I understand you need a lot of stuff. It looks like we're um, hoarders. And do you have like um like a play area where your kids play? We do have a play area and they tend to not want to play there. We have a nice big living room with like, you know, a kitchen like that is open into it and it's really beautiful. It's a lovely apartment. But so the kids want to hang out out there and play. So yeah. they drag all their toys out. So the living room's covered in toys. And like I'm you know, we're into it. Yeah. Nice to see the kids. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> uh do they have like do they have a lot of instruments? They do have some instruments. Yeah. Yeah. And they get broken out every now and again. We keep talking about getting a piano, but there's not really a lot of room for it. Yeah. Um, but that may change. We're kind of looking to upgrade. Nice. So you thinking grand piano? No. <laughs> Baby grand. I'm thinking the Yamaha piano that's here. Yeah? It's, in, it's, a, it's like a student model upright, or it's a little bit bigger than a student model. It's perfect size for a New York apartment. Great. And it's a pretty nice piano. I just recorded on it yesterday, actually. Oh, yeah? Played some piano on two of the, or one of the songs that I've been recording. Great. Well, take it, man. It's yours. Thank you. You're welcome. Jonah, you're so generous. I wanted to gift that piano to you. <laughs> uh, today in the podcast, someone else who has a kid. <laughs> Not my best segue. Segway, however you get. Somebody else with two arms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jimmy Laval, he's, uh, Jimmy is an old, old friend of mine when we met when he was, uh, in an instrumental San Diego band called Tristeza, you may be familiar with. Uh, before that he was in The Locust and we met, I interviewed him for my zine probably like 15 years ago in San Diego and we stayed in touch and Tristeza s- stayed at my house when they were on tour with Sigur Ross in Ohio and we kind of in and out of touch and... Jimmy started this project, um, the album Leaf, probably, probably a while ago. I feel like their first record came out in like 2004 or something. So over a decade ago, and they put out a bunch of records on Sub Pop. And in August, they put out their newest record called Between Waves on Relapse. Uh, but despite being on Relapse, it is not a metal record. It's kind of this ambient, instrumentally, it's really good stuff, uh, so yeah, I've been emailing with Jimmy and I thought it'd be fun to have an old old friend from the hardcore scene on the podcast. <laughs> and uh yeah, we talked about everything. We talked about his whole career, sort of what it's like to try to continue to make music as an adult, um kind of his approach to things and the influence of his older bands. Did you talk about uh inst- his kids' instruments? I don't think we In got into room? that. <laughs> uh Definitely talked about his kid a little bit, but it was me, so you know, not too much. Yeah, you don't lead that that subject, do you? It's not my favorite <laughs> subject. 
but you know, it's if it's a part of someone's life, it's it's you know, I'm not gonna. That's okay to hate kids. Jenna. I don't. Ha- I no, don't hate fine. kids. It's really fine. I don't fine. hate kids. I know they're they're scary little creatures. They're small. You don't know they could be hiding anywhere. I, I don't hate kids it's with just, boogers on their face. I would just rather talk about like <laughs> they're fully germs. I'd rather talk about like the like San Diego hardcore to scene in the '90s and kids any <laughs> any day of the week. That is just much more in my wheelhouse. Sorry. <laughs> um, but Jimmy can talk about it all. <laughs> Jimmy's not emotionally stunted. So, uh, yeah, um, let's just stop talking about Jimmy and yeah. talk to Jimmy. Good idea. On Going Off Track. It's going off track! Is it going? It's going. Oh, okay. We're starting. Cool. <laughs> How's it going, Jimmy? Thanks for coming. Good. It's good. How are I you? I wanted to have you on here for so long. That's awesome. Yeah. I no, actually, I'm here. I should have brought it. I'll send it to you. I found this interview that I did with you for my zine. Oh, from back when, when your Cleveland days? Yeah, yeah. I did a semester where I lived in California, and I mm-hmm. interviewed you, I think, I think, it must have been when you were in Tris- Tristeza, and it was at like a locust house. We did it like in a closet at like a party. Yes. Yeah. So it must have been like 2000, 2001. It would probably even, maybe even earlier. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah. You showed me your yeah. locust lip tattoo. It's still there. Is it still there? It's still there. <laughs> What's funny is because I got that on tour. That was like my first, well, this is the second tour ever. It was 96. Um, summer of 96 was my was my second tour ever okay and my first was spring break of my senior year okay. that was with guy one um and my second tour ever was a locust jenny piccolo tour that was 96 and then um it was all of us in the van we played in ogden utah in a basement and i got my i got my first tattoo which is my lip tattoo so there it is was <laughs> was fun. a locust was that your first band um or- i mean I had plenty of bands before that. Like okay. Gabe, Gabe and I from, well, yeah, Gabe Locust. Um, he and I had like two bands during our high school years. Cause we've known each other since like 94. We we were started playing music together in 94, Gabe and I. Um, we had this band called, I had, I was in this band called Steel Tree. This is, if anybody digs any of this shit up, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's terrible. Um, we had this band, I had this band called Steel Tree. We got a new drummer, Gabe, and then we turned and then we turned Steel Tree into this band called Jedi Mind Trick. And then when I was in those bands, um, is when we met when I met like JP and like that whole kind of crew. And they were the like they were two years older, so they were like different like I was in high school and they were like the you know, the the cool kids and like swing kids and yada yada yada. And I just kinda kinda started discovering all of that and then um and then we met those, and then I quit those bands, and then joined Guyver One, um, and a short time after joined the Locust. So, as far as like my first like touring experience, like Guyver One was my first tour that I ever did. Okay, um, so it's like first band that put out a record, like an actual like you know thing, and yeah. So uh, so kind of like I guess you can say it was like first like band that wasn't like that did more than just play locally. Gotcha. Yeah. Because I was always sort of confused about, like, your transition with the Tristeza stuff. Like, yeah. was that, like, uh, what, were you doing both at any time? Or did you sort of leave? Because I saw Tristeza, I feel for the first time at, like, a Detroit fest or something when, yeah. like, Spine and Sensory was out. And I remember being like, 
there was no i had never heard anything like that before yeah. like that's a very popular thing now i feel like that instrumental totally kind of chant but at the time it was really different yeah well i mean for me at least no i i yeah, totally i mean so when we were in the locust or what actually that first tour that first guy one tour um we went out we played detroit fest um senior in high school the spring break so this is like late 90s this is 96 96 okay um we played in kalamazoo in a basement at christopher spriggs from tristeza's house and that's when we met like chris and jimmy laner he was in a band called bev clone christopher was in constance and um we all played this michigan fest back in 96 we all met um shortly like in 97 or no actually the summer of 96 like the end of 96 um christopher moved out to san diego um to just kind of like we all just like hit it off really strong like when we all first met and um that summer basically christopher moved in to my house because we had this little compound the locust compound this was called 24th and 8th compound it was three three different houses Okay. Two, two buildings and like three different spots gotcha. one in the back and then upstairs downstairs in the front um so christopher moved in and then when christopher moved out jp christopher and i wanted to start a new band um which was crimson curse and then so we started crimson curse um christopher and i were roommates and just kind of we were both like 17 18 um and just discovering like Playing, obviously, angsty, you know, Crimson Curse, Locust, like, Guy One, all that kind of stuff. Um, but also, at the same time, being, like, big fans of, like, Nick Drake and Red House Painters and, you know, like, things like that. And then so, like, Christopher and I at night would just, like, play acoustic guitar. And that was, like, the beginnings of Tristeza. And then, so, yeah, we were doing Crimson Curse. And at the time, I was in, like, three bands with JP. I was doing Swing Kids. I was doing Crimson Curse. And I was doing The Locust. Right. Um... And then Christopher and I kind of started doing this Tristeza thing, um, which really surfaced in like 97. Um, and then there was just a point where it was just like, I don't know, I had I had like too much of JP and I yeah. like quit everything <laughs> and then just focused on Tristeza. Um, and that's when kind of Tristeza kind of started and Crimson Curse quit or okay. stopped, you know? So that was kind of like... So in the meantime, in the interim of all that, I had like a four track and, you know still was like you know listening to like rachel's and like you know mellow stuff and discovering brian eno discovering like you know nick drake and the back catalog of all that stuff alternate tunings yada 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 um and then yeah that kind of like turned into four track recordings that were like the early beginnings of album leaf um and tristeza kind of so that's kind of the shift that's where the shift happened where it was just like it was fun. I did like, you know, super hardcore stuff and like played shows naked and like, you know, toured and, you know, like whatever, like all the basements and like Michigan Fest and stuff like that. Um, and then just kind of like started Tristeza. Well, to make so. things more confusing, for me at least, <laughs> my old band, The Love Kill, oh, yeah, yeah. toured totally. with Tristeza, but way after you were involved. Mm. Like the band kept, because it was like, I was, yeah. It was like, I remember like, um, Allison was in it yep. and like, um, Sean, Sean. Yeah. yeah. And so we, we would tour with them and they were sort of putting out new music also, but it was none of, I don't know how many people were even involved from when you kind of started. Well, it should have been pretty much at the, after I left the core kind of remained Jimmy, okay. Christopher and Luis. 
Yes, I remember Louise. Yeah, yeah of course. So the three of them just kind of kept okay. going. I think gotcha. they're still kind of going. Yeah. We actually like chatted because like it's officially the 20 year anniversary of our seven inch release. 20 years? Yeah. Really? Next year. Wow. Yeah. So I'm also starting, I also have a label and I have a, and, um, I'm like reissuing my older album leaf releases, um, my first two album leaf releases that are out of print. Um, and I had wanted to possibly reissue all the early Tristeza stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and then just maybe do like a handful of nostalgia shows, you know, just that like as a 20 year release. So awesome. 20 year, yeah. And Christopher talked about wanting to like record new music and do stuff like that, but I'm totally not interested in doing that because, you know, there's a reason why we all kind of parted ways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't need to kind of, you know, rehash all that. So I still feel um, like if I have like my iTunes on shelf or something like yeah. Golden Hill or something comes out, I'm like, totally. this is real, still sounds really good. Yeah, and I would love to like, totally, I would love to like just get together and play that record. Yeah. You know, and like just don't focus on anything else. But it gets hard because of obviously like, you want to kind of like toy with like the, you know, other stuff and, and musically you've changed and you've evolved over 20 years, hopefully, you know, so it's kind of hard to just be like, let's just play this only. Right. But that's really what I want to do. I'm going to still kind of see if that can work. That's but. so weird because I keep thinking of Album Leaf as like your new project. Yeah. <laughs> it's, my guess, new, it's my new 20-year-old project. <laughs> yeah, I guess I didn't realize, I guess I have like a bad sense of time. It doesn't, because totally. I want to talk about... Um, We've never talked about this in an interview, but yeah. we had this crazy night in Cleveland. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, well, we crashed at your place. You too. crashed at my place, yeah. and you guys were on tour with Sigur Ross. Yeah. And they got some, like, gay club to open up just that's, for the tour. That was Cleveland? Yes. Oh, shit. That's, that's right. Because I remember you guys were staying with me. I was like, sure. And it was at the Odeon, which is now defunct. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And Sigur Ross was like... They were amazing. I think they were. Tu- I don't. They were, I think they were touring on. Um, Back then, it was just four piece. Yeah. So it would have been that. Yeah, that record that no one can pronounce. Yeah. Um. The the big record. The big record. Yeah. And it was an amazing show. And then, yeah, I remember after the show, you're like, "We're all gonna go out," and I was like, "All right, cool." And then you were somehow someone had convinced some gay club downtown to stay open because they were yeah. like fans or something. Yeah. And we went there, and we it had was the whole like, place to ourselves this whole dance club to yeah. ourselves, and like they turned on the music and the lights and i remember like you guys were the only ones like who, who could really speak english yeah and i remember i called my friend john i was like hey dude i'm at this like gay bar downtown i don't really know that many people do you want to come hang out and he's like oh, uh, i guess okay yeah. but yeah it was like totally insane yeah totally those i mean those they they had yeah I mean, everybody loves loved cigarettes from like the beginning, and they were like there was definitely like all the mystery about it, and the mis- you know, and um, Yonti of course is gay, and uh, I think that was like kind of the connection and like what happened. And I remember that's where I saw him really cut a rug, and I was like, oh, dude can dance. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty rad. You know, I almost yeah. left. With, I actually made out with like their cello player or something. Oh, okay, yeah. So their... that would have been two thousand three then. Okay, yeah. that sounds right. And then like yeah. their bus started moving, and I was like, they were like, you should come. I was like, I gotta go. I live yeah. here. To- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going totally. here. Yeah, that was good times. Yeah, yeah that was totally. so fun. And then yeah. you uh, ended up going to Iceland and making a record, yeah. an album leaf record with them. Correct. Yeah, yeah. that it was, was after. in a safe place. Yeah, that was after that okay. second tour. Because on that tour, they were actually playing with me and backing me. Okay. Um, so that kind of morphed into let's like let's uh I'd never been to Iceland. They were you know, we'd already done three tours together. Um I and I in Europe I'd ridden with them. Excuse me, I was riding with them in the bus 
over there touring and they were backing me and it would kind of like morph the songs into something else and it kind of got cool and I wanted to kind of capture that and and they were like you should come to Iceland it's like we have this studio it's amazing like come and I was like cool so I did and then they I was just kind of like had their studio with an engineer their house engineer Biggie um, who everyone confuses with Yonsei um, okay. I read that so many times, like, oh, Yonti recorded the record. Like, no, he did not record the record. It's a guy with a... Other people have the same names, you know? <laughs> it's like, there's another guy named John Berger, or, you know, Biggie Bergerson. He has the same last name, because all it is is your father's name, and, your, and you add son if you're male, and you add female if you're... Or you add daughter, D-O-T-T-I-R, if you're female. Oh, really? That's all the names. That's all the last names are. I didn't you know? know that. Yeah. So my father's name is James. I would, you know, in that, I would be Jameson. Okay. Know? So that's all, yeah. So that's all it is. And like a, a lot of people just confuse it. But anyhow, um, but yeah, so I went over there and I just tracked that. And then um, the dudes kind of just came in and like, oh, let me play drums on this. Oh, let me play this on this. And, you know, so that's kind of how that record kind of happened. How did you sort of, because obviously there was a language barrier with those guys, especially I'm sure early on. I mean, how did you sort of manage yeah. to connect with them so much? They speak really good English, they actually. Do? Yeah, they're, okay. it's totally it's um, yeah they they speak really good English. I was probably it's at like thick a thick accent. I was well, probably a really also thick at like a loud dance club, like screaming yeah. over music. Like totally. these guys, their English is bad. It's probably yeah. like totally not at all the case. No, but I mean, it is a super thick accent. Okay. So like you know, but it is like you know they totally they speak English, but. Um, just like with a Nordic accent, you know? Okay. So, but, um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, and then they're, sh- I mean, it's mostly just being shy. They're like yeah. shy, and then all of a sudden, then, you know, open up. They're total jokesters, you know? They're like, they're not, everyone perceives them to be so, like, serious and mysterious. Yeah, I remember and someone was, like, hiding in a refrigerator exactly, or something. Yeah, it was, like, yeah. very goofy. Yeah, I mean, we were all, like, in our 20s, and, yeah. you know, like, so it was still very fun times, you Yeah. Know? And actually, I just saw them like a month ago. We played at a festival in Japan together. Oh, nice! Just like just like old times, still again. You know, hung out and doing the same thing and same kind of like antics and you know having fun and then saying goodbyes. Yeah, yeah. And so I got um, I've listened to your new record a lot. I think it's really cool. But to me, I was like, I got the press release. I was like, Oh, Jimmy's on relapse. He's doing something heavy again. <laughs> and I got, I was like, No, this is not heavy. But yeah. it's like just no. And and normally. Just knowing your whole career trajectory, it's been so, like, yeah. started out so aggressive and sort of more mellow. I mean, how did that sort of come about, I guess, especially for this project? The relapse connection? Yeah. Um, I mean, to be, I mean, to be, like, full disclosure, I guess, like, um, there's a couple different elements um, that are involved um, that kind of bring it, bring it all kind of full circle. Um, but first one being that my manager, I have a new manager that I started working with in the last like year and a half or so. Um, I had, you know, just kind of changed after the last record in the last kind of six years of like quote unquote hiatus where I was actually very busy and doing a lot and just like, just wasn't like releasing official album leaf stuff, but I was releasing a lot of other stuff. Um, she, I started working with a new manager. She also manages a band called Red Fang. Red Fang is on relapse. Okay. So there's connection number one. Um, and then the second connection is actually the the you know second in command of Relapse. Uh, his name is Rennie. Um, used to run a venue called the Mister Roboto Project in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I remember that spot. Which Tristeza and Album Leaf spent plenty of years and plenty of time at. Um, so there's connection number two essentially. Okay. Um, Rennie and I used to hang all the time back then. Um, so basically, kind of like when it came time to like here's his new record, we're shopping it. 
things are like just totally saturated. Everybody's wanting to release a record. Even right now, I feel like there's like three other shows every single night that we're playing, you know, in small cities like Asheville, for example. There's still like, there's so much traffic. Um, so obviously, music scene is completely saturated. Um, and sales are you know not what they used to be the the, the everything is just different nowadays you know, right like everything's mp3 based or this or you know like physical things aren't the same um so in that world like just reaching out to you know like we shopped and like just got you know no no like a uh, huge albumly fan oh i've loved what he's done like oh just not not the right time for us like you know people it was actually kind of like flattering like all this shopping even though it was frustrating because there was like so many like oh wow i've reached a lot of like a lot i've been around a long time like people know know what i'm doing like that's cool totally Um, but at the same time then like being frustrated because like everyone's like you know fans and they're into it but like not wanting to release it or not wanting to like you know hop down that road so um through all like the flattery was a lot of frustration anyhow and then relapse kind of laura was like you know my manager is like, oh, you know, I relapse is interested. And I thought like immediately like, oh, hell no. You know, like that's like, like, ah, whatever, you know, like that's, that's cool that they are. But like, I'd rather like, I don't know, some kind of like other thing that I kind of felt like I meshed more with. Cause even with Sub Pop, I didn't really feel like I completely connected with that label either, you know, like musically. Right. Um, um, and so that was kind of, I don't know. And then it just like turned into like, and then I met with them and I met, you know, you know, met with Rennie who had already hung with like, you know, kind of back in the day and all that kind of stuff. And then just kind of got into all of that. And I don't know, whenever all things kind of came together, it just made sense. And it was like, you know, definitely they as a label are kind of like branching out and kind of open arms and bringing in more things and trying to kind of diversify their roster. Um, which is kind of a cool thing to be a part of. And also the fact that we're, we talk about it is also another like kind of strong point because I could have just been on another sub pop or another this or whatever. And it wouldn't really matter. It was like, Oh, here's your record out on this label, you know, but the fact that it's on like relapse, it's like, Whoa, what the, what's that all about? Yeah. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a chatter point there. So yeah, it's not on tiger style or yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So you know, I don't know. It's like there's like that. You know, there's kind of like different ways and like going back to like circling back to being like kind of a saturated market, like to kind of like make a stir a little bit of noise. You know, like oh, they're on relapse. What? You know, right? It's a little bit more. Just like it brings that conversation maybe one sentence longer. You know, that's true. That makes sense. And you have to be the <laughs> yeah. first artist to go from sub pop to relapse. I would imagine. Well, I, yeah, I, I would guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, I don't know. I mean, and then they they just took on survive too, which is what they they just I just got the record. Uh, I got I the record a couple. I haven't months heard ago. them. Are they good? It's great. Yeah, okay. it's like the they did they scored. They're getting. Um, recognition now for scoring Stranger Things, the Netflix show. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So, like, that's like obviously the blow up of Stranger Things is is definitely helped them kind I'm of sure. like surface too. So, they're on relapse. That record comes out on the thirtieth. Okay, um, cool. So, you know, stuff like that. That it's just kind of like they're kind of circling out more. You know, that's great. I mean, could you talk a little bit about? Um, you sort of talked a little about like the last six years. And the haters and that stuff. I mean, could you talk a little bit, I guess, like what you've been up to sort of musically? And I'd imagine yeah. also like, I didn't realize you had two kids. I mean, yeah. I guess you just had one kid, but I didn't realize. Yeah. I can't. I, it's always weird for me when I know someone whose kid's like older than like one year old. <laughs> totally. Like, I don't know why. Yeah. Just. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, yeah. So Storytellers Tour, like the course Storytellers came out in 2010. We did a lot of like hefty touring on that. Um, after that, like the band kind of like split up somewhat. Um, basically that like unit that I had for like eight years, um, two guys went their own way and then Matt and I remained the same violinist that I've had since 2002, I think. Um, so anyhow, uh, so that happened and that's when the now current lineup started, which is Matt, Dave and I, or Dave and Brad and I. Um, and so it's kind of funny that this is the first actual record that we've put out as a being, having been a band now for six years, like in this, you know, configuration, but we actually, so, so we, we, we did like a, like, you know, handful of like things through 2011, just kind of like filler, like weird festival stuff and like one-off shows and flyings and stuff like that. Um, and then we did another tour, um, with Sister Crown, who actually, and is now Rituals of Mine, who's on tour with us again. Um, and then, um, made an EP that we put out in 2012 and then also in the interim of that, I also scored a film called Tori's Distraction, um, which I released in 2012 as well, or 2011, somewhere around there. Okay. So the, basically I did Chorus of Storytellers, then I released a soundtrack record called Tori's Distraction um, as the album leaf. And then in 2012, released this EP called Forward Return as the album leaf. Um, 2013, I did that collaboration. I did a collaboration with Mark Koslick, Red House Painter, Some Kill Moon Dude, um, that came out in 2013. Um, 2014, scored another film, released that, and it's called Before You Know It. 2015, scored another film called Spring, um, released that in 2015, and then now we're here in 2016 with a new record. So, so you haven't um, done anything, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in the interim of all of that, yeah, I've had two kids. I have a three-year-old and an 11-week-old. Um, so, you know, through the middle of all of that, um, yeah, basically. I've, so I've been incredibly busy, um, and there's other films, too. I, my wife's also a filmmaker. I scored her, her film, um, which is um, doing festival stuff now. It's called The Ovarian Psychos. Um, and, you know, I have, I'm working and scoring on another th- two films right now, currently, while I'm on tour. So kind of just like I've been... I'm, I've been busy and I've done a lot of collaborations too with other artists that I, like, like I'm sitting on. Um, and I released that. There was a collaboration I did with a, with an artist named Peter Broderick that we released in summer of 2013. Also a film came out, um, of our tour in China in 2013. Um, so yeah, so there's been a lot. <laughs> Do you like, yeah. is, was this film scoring stuff something you'd been wanting to get into for a while? Yeah. Um, I mean, yes and no, kind of like, it was kind of like, I had been licensed so much, like for usages, mostly for TV, not so much for film. But, um, and I was always like more thinking that it would make more sense for me to actually score something rather than license something, you know, like that it would make more sense. It'd be more fun for me to actually like start from something on something from scratch. Right. So, and the way I got into it, the first film I did, Tori's Distraction, she had, the director had actually just tempted in a ton of my music. And, and gave me the film to watch and approve the usages. Um, and with that, I was like, why don't you just let me score it? I'd love to score it. Um, they didn't have any money. I did it for free, you know? And I just, um, that was kind of my jump in, you know, point. Um, and then there was another film that I scored um, 
called Wonder Woman, the untold story of um, American superheroines. Um, and that was more of like the sound alike world, you know, so there wasn't like much um, creative freedom. There was a handful of pieces that I did where I was able to kind of embellish and do my own thing. But for the most part, she just kind of wanted, excuse me, she just wanted like sound alikes, you know. Um, so like I did like a heart song i did like a latigra song i did like a this song and that song you know so i kind of like and all of this i kind of felt like in my mind i was kind of like cutting teeth you know like cutting my teeth like on doing this stuff and i came from that world too of doing jingles like back in the late 90s too where like i had to make a foo fighters song and like a this song you know um and then i was able to kind of do my own thing with before you know it and then with spring um i was able to do my own things and then it's kind of turned into like oh this is like and i i mean i'm almost I'm almost 40, so, like, there's also that. I'm a father of two, almost 40, and it's like, you know, I, I, I love to tour, I love to play shows, but, like, I got to be home, too, you know, so kind of, like, subsidizing like that. Right. And and really, touring is not my main source of income either, but it also is a main source of kind of keeping me afloat and, and in the on the in the radar, you know, so it's kind of a necessary thing to do. Um, so, you know... Hence, kind of falling more into film scoring and and focusing on that. Gotcha. I mean, yeah. what is what's sort of like your process like for that? You just kind of watch stuff over and over and just think about what would match it. What's in your yeah. head or something? I mean, luckily for me, there's a lot of people that I've worked with. The last three films have come to me for what I do. Okay. Rather than like kind of like here's our temp stuff. This is kind of what we want. I want this kind of thing. So luckily, um, I've been approached to do what I do. So that being said, like I kind of just like yeah. I mean, I just watch the film. I kind of watch scenes. I just kind of think about it and I sit on it for a while. I probably tinker for about two weeks, three weeks, until I kind of fall into what I think is going to be the tone and the mood and the you know whatever. Um, and then from there, I just hope the director kind of approves the, of that direction. And then I can kind of just, you know, have at it and like continue down that path where I've established like tones and sounds and like, you know. And then, of course, there's cue sheets, there's ins and outs and, um, you know, where the director feels like they want music and certain spots to hit. And so um, then you kind of like write. Generally, I kind of like to just write like a kind of a collection of ideas um, that aren't to scene, you know, just like movie in mind, like here's like 10 like beds and 10 ideas, 10 themes, 10, you know, whatever. And then kind of like throw that at them. And from there you can kind of dissect and like pull into place and like, this is what I had an idea for this character or whatever, you know, so it's not to, to scene. And then from there you kind of then start to fine tune, I guess. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. I just had the weirdest flashback that involves you. <laughs> And not you physically, but yeah. um, I sort of did something. I did the music when I interned in like 15 years ago to music super for the real world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. The, my boss was this guy, Dave Stones. I was looking for instrumental music. And I was like, yeah, check out this band, Tristeza. Yeah. And I think they got used on the show. Yeah. Like a bunch of times. Because like, we didn't, there w- it, and that's sort of leading into my next question. Like, I feel like now it's like, obviously it's like Explosion in the Sky, there's whatever, mm-hmm. like Magwai, Mono, like it's, I feel like it's not weird, but I remember back then with Tristezza, it, it was kind of weird. Like, and I remember every interview, yeah. it's kind of like, why don't you sing? Like, why yeah. isn't there a vocalist? Like, do you feel like that's changed, the landscape of music has changed a lot as far as that comes? Um, yeah, I mean, 
definitely like I don't know. It's kind of hard to like. Uh, it's I feel like I'm thankful for where I am and what I've done and like the success that I've had. But I also feel like it's kind of been like over like all of these bands that we when we were doing our thing that inspired other things like these bands that were inspired by are now kind of totally over totally <laughs> yeah it's kind of weird to say but it's like you know like i do know like bands that have cited like myself as influences and like you know whatever but um so thanks to that i feel like yeah the landscape has kind of changed um where you know i get asked less and less and maybe that's just because i've been around for as long as i have but i get asked less and less about like why don't you sing or what you know, I feel like every cycle there is something like, so what what's, What kind of song, because like, I do sing on some songs, and it's like, what kind of song do you, you know, like, you sing, like, what, what how do you choose to sing on something and not to, you know? Right. So, like, you know, I get asked that question a lot, but, um, but yeah, for the most part, I feel like there has been, like, more open, like, you know, instrumental music is not such a, like, whoa, why aren't there, why aren't there vocals? Right. I do feel like it has changed, and so... I, and- and I do feel like, as a journalist, it's so easy. Like, I feel like whenever yeah. you'd hear a bench study, you'd be like, this is so cinematic. Yeah, totally. Like, that's, yeah. So it's, like, <laughs> interesting for you to actually yeah. go into that, because yeah. people are kind of putting it on you anyways. Yeah, totally. Totally. It's, yeah, they're always just, like, it's just associated with, like, it's cinematic. Because you have to grab something that's going to, there's something has to be there to, like, keep your attention, I guess. And that's where, like, the cinematic, like, oh, you know, like, you kind of, like, hone in on like that like something that like grabs your attention and kind of gives you a theme and like you know it's kind of big and overwhelming and you know or something like that definitely i mean do you still feel like even like the newer album release stuff do you feel like it's um still informed by whatever swing kids or all that 3-1-g stuff i mean do you feel like Mm -hmm. even maybe sonically it doesn't sound the same but do you feel like it's still a part of sort of what you do in a way well i mean i don't I don't think there's anything I don't think there's anything musically directly related but obviously like I stemmed from you know this seed and that seed is you know like sprouted me into who I am and who I am musically so everything is kind of like ingrained in there somehow so you know is there's not like a specific like you know back in swing because i wrote this change <laughs> right right you're like now i'm gonna do this like yeah, I'm, gonna, yeah. I'm gonna do that you know there's, there's nothing like that but obviously like you know my youth and how i was musically raised like you know or musically educated um and when i say that i mean more so like bands that i was influenced by not like things in theory that i learned um although that obviously is is you know still is relevant but um but yeah i mean I am who I am because of where I came from. Right. You know, so that's, you know, I'll never forget. I'll never forget those days. <laughs> I just think the trajectory is so cool. Like, I just think it would be so funny for, like, an albumly fan to be like, I wonder what else this guy's done and just, like, keep going further back. And be like, yeah, because that's the other thing, too, is, like, for instance, like, it's been six years since my last release. Six years is a long time for people. Sure. You know, like, somebody who was 14 is now 20, and, like, I know how much how much i discovered in that time period so there's a there's a ton of new people that are like and still it's kind of funny like every single year or every single time we tour oh i've been waiting 10 years to see you it's like well, we've been around for 15 so where were you like where what's going on <laughs> yeah, like yeah, i don't yeah. understand where you were like um 
but so that still happens, you know. So it's like there's still obviously there's new fans, which is great, and like yeah, it, it would be. I, I would totally like to see even my publishing people, like people that I've worked with for a long time, did not know that past, and I was like sent them just like I think I sent them like the Crimson Curse video, me playing naked, and like a Locust video from like '97 and Zed Records where I'm just like. Ah! like totally screaming and they're right, just like right. holy shit like what what is this you know yeah, like yeah. totally mind blown you know and it's like that's where i you know that's where i came from so it's kind of funny do you you still live in san diego no i live in la you live in la yeah. how long have you been there for i've been in la for f- six years okay um i've been away from san diego for eight i okay. spent two years in santa cruz um my wife was in grad school there so we went there and then we moved to la because she was she got off, she's in film, so she got offered a job um, producing uh, a documentary. So we moved down to do that, like, as a, it was like a six-month job. Okay. That, so we were like, let's see what happens. Because, like, growing up in San Diego, L.A. is not the, like, you either love or you hate L.A. I was of the hate L.A. Okay. side. Um, and then now I'm there and I love it. So, yeah. yeah we're like, we don't see ourselves going anywhere else. Yeah, what do you what do you like? Because actually, our last guest would actually all of our other guests we've had out here today living in LA. Oh yeah, and it came <laughs> up in like every interview. I was like Adam yeah. from Against Me. And, oh okay, uh, yeah. Let's go, Greta. Who's, who's in the Hush Sound? And like, yeah, uh-huh. everyone's like, everyone's like, yeah, I moved to LA. I love it. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, man, should I move to LA? Like, everyone <laughs> seems to be so happy. Yeah, I I mean that's great. I don't know. I feel like it's just great. There's a lot of like. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of, um, you know, the gentrification debate and is, is very heated there happening. But yeah. like on the flip side of that, like the benefits that um, are kind of more consolidating towards downtown L.A. Are, are what like is what's really, really cool. And I think that like the, the what is happening in downtown is spilling into the surroundings, which is where the gentrification is happening. Um, but downtown itself has just kind of just been like not like poor housing but it's just kind of been run down and it's being like revitalized um and that's kind of like spreading around the gentrification um but uh not getting into that because that's a whole nother discussion but um it's just like i don't know i mean like you can get you can go through the basics of la of like oh the weather's always great right um you know, traffic sucks, sure, but like a lot of times you like I work from home, so I'm not involved in that. Right. Uh, or if I am involved in that, I know when to go from point A to B where it's not gonna take me four hours, you know? Or like and also getting from point A to B on a side street is pretty cool too. And that's like, you know, that's that's fine. Um so there's like all of those like main, you know, obvious things of like you know the great things of LA. The beach is there. This is there. Blah blah blah. The in, the industry, quote unquote, industry is there. Like right. you know, all, all of the resources of venues and music, and you know, it's like, um, I mean, yeah, it's like the obviously it's like the New York of the, you know, the West Coast or whatever. Um, but and then also, yeah, because of all of that, all of the resources that are available, um, are there, and I just feel like the that's. I don't know. It's just a great. It's just great. I don't know. I like to live on top of a hill. I'm able to like, I've like bought a house years ago, like back then, or not. I mean, not back then, but I bought a house, so we own a house, and we like have a nice view and like things. You know, it's just like, it's just a nice. It's just nice. Yeah. I don't know, you know, 
east side of LA, which is where I live, is like super mellow. Okay. Um, super easy. Um, like, yeah, you know, just things are. You know, Allison actually from Tristeza has a uh, open a clothing store like two minutes from my house. No way. You know? Yeah. So well, last time I talked like, to her, I think maybe she was in Portland. Yeah, she was in Portland with Sean for a while, okay. and then they they broke up, and then she you know, moved down to L.A., and now she's got a shop and is doing her own thing there. So it's like it's That's just true. cool, you know. It's like a nice little, just a nice time there. I yeah. Do you still keep in touch with a lot of people, sort of from those those eras? Like, I guess just oh, uh, I guess a fair era. amount. Yeah. yeah, like Christopher and I like chat every now and then. Um, Steven, who is from Tristeza, he lives in. He lives in LA, Altadena specifically, but he has two kids as well. Okay. So um, our kids hang sometimes, you know, stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's like, there's definitely like connections still from those times that, that are like, you know, solid, like unbreakable. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. What was the, who did the artwork for Spine and Sensory? Because I feel like that is kind of become s- sort of iconic. Yeah, I think that was Jimmy Laner. Jimmy okay. Laner did most of the the drummer. He did most of the art for everything. Okay, I didn't realize that. He and um he and Christopher kind of like the the connection that both of them kind of like tagged teamed a lot of that art. Um but yeah, Jimmy, I think Jimmy found that image and flipped it or reversed it or color, I don't know. He he was super super into like psychedelic stuff all the time so okay. a lot of the artwork was kind of inspired by that but yeah. it was always like mostly jimmy that did all the art um and then christopher did a lot of like the writing and like um or handwriting and and typography and jimmy also like drew a lot of like the a lot of those like weird shapes that like spelled tristeza was like jimmy okay um, but a lot of the like kind of like dark writing like handwriting um was christopher stuff um, it's kind of mostly between the two of them, but mostly Jimmy did all the artwork. Interesting. Yeah. What about when it comes to like the album leaf? Do you sort of handle all that stuff, or do you? Um, actually, Christopher did the one day. Christopher did one. I'll be on time. Okay. Um, my father-in-law actually did my very first record. Really? Yeah, it's a painting of his because I was dating my wife at the time. Gotcha. Um, or I no, I dated we. My wife and I dated in like '96, and then we broke up in '97, and then. Now we got, you know, eight years later, we got back together. Three years later, got married, you know, whatever. We're, we're that story. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> which is great. Um, so, but her father's an amazing painter. Um, okay. So uh, that first record was his. The third record was the drummers, our old drummers um, art. The fourth was another friend of mine. I just kind of, I guess I'm, I guess when I'm saying this, it's like I've sourced out different people. Um, for different art, um, but tell people you're, you're part of your life. It's all people that are, yeah. yeah. And my brother-in-law actually did a course of storytellers. Um, he actually did it as a photo shoot, and the fo- and he was he's not a photographer and doesn't really know how to use a camera, so he didn't like know about 300 DPI and just like high res and all that kind of stuff. So when he sent it to Sub Pop, they're like, "Uh, do you have a high res version?" And like he couldn't, he didn't. So he just, he's also an amazing artist. So he just turned around and just painted it in like a couple of days and then wow. rolled the painting up and sent it to Sub Pop. <laughs> scanned it. Yeah. And then they sent it back. And now I have it on my wall in my studio. But um, that's amazing. Yeah. So there's that. And there's actually like lately I've kind of been working with the same artists, um, these two guys, this guy named a really close friend of mine um, whose name is Michael Rains, who did the the art for Between Waves. He did all, he's done all the videos so far. Um, 
Um, he was doing live visuals with us. Um, so he's a good friend that um, I met in Santa Cruz. Actually, our wives are filmmaking partners. He shoots their films. I score their films. So we're this little kind of like little team there. Um, and then there's this other guy in London um, whose name is Alex Damon. And he's done like Tori's Distraction or Forward Return. And he did all the T-shirts this time around and like all the posters. And so kind of now I've kind of like started working with the same two people. Cool. Yeah. I was curious. I mean, we talked a little bit about sort of like, I guess like syncs or like getting your music used and stuff. I mean, is there ever someone comes in they're like, Jimmy, they want to use your music in this thing. And you're like, no, like this is like, and maybe not like ethically or like just, you're just like, I don't want, or is it, is it normally something that's, you're like, eh, whatever, who cares? Most times it's in whatever, who cares? Um, like, cause I don't really get anything extremely like controversial or whatever. Yeah. There's some churches okay. um, that I'll say no to because if you're, you know, homophobic or, you know, just anti-Muslim or like any kind of like, or just you know, generally preach hate, <laughs> I don't want to support that or be affiliated with that. Um, right. I'm not religious either. And so that's also kind of like even like letting a church use it i'm just kind of like ah you know like because i don't agree with religion either like that's another thing but um so but it's generally yeah like it's i i haven't really you know been hit up by like i don't say like trump for example right it's not like of course i would say fuck no right but like you know i haven't been hit up with like hit with anything any kind of like controversial bomb or like you know choice of like we're going to give you $100,000, which is, would never happen. Right. Um, but you're supporting this, like you know, the new Philip whatever. Morris, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, Something yeah. like that. I have not, luckily, have not been in that scenario. So, yeah. Have you been um, following the election stuff a lot? Because I feel like I was at first, and now I feel like it's gotten, I kind of just I'm exactly the same. Like, yeah, I'm exactly like, the same. I'll wait till November, see what happens, yeah. but I just can't. But I feel like in recent days, more shit's starting to stir, and yeah. now you're kind of forced to kind of pay attention again. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think about it because I've never been like like vocally political. Like, for instance, like in interviews or like on stage or, you know, anything like that. Um, and it's kind of like as a musician, as someone who has a microphone, you kind of feel like you kind of can have that power in a way to kind of like talk about things. But I've never really done that because I just, you know, I don't know. Um, it's just not me, I guess. Um, and then like now we just like spent time through the South and we already, we just came from the South and there was like just certain like back roads and stuff that we we're like, you know, or just whatever, like the route we took, like seeing like Confederate flags and like things like that, where you're just like, holy shit, yeah. like, really? Like, I cannot believe that that like mentality still exists, but it does. And it's like Trump is bringing all of these just like batshit crazy ass backwards like you know backwards thinking people out of the woodworks with all of these things like like he just came up with like starting a you know anti-abortion uh i just just heard about it like about i don't know 45 minutes ago okay like yeah i haven't even heard about this yeah that he like is putting together this whole like anti-abortion group you know which obviously is going to stir the pot Right. For all these religious freaks that think that, you know, we're driving through the South, we saw like a sign of like, 
there's a heartbeat at 48 hours, be a good dad. Like, and it took like a little bit. We're like, wait, what is that? Like, it's like, oh shit, it's an anti-abortion, like, like right. billboard. And like, and it was like this whole, like, it's like this, like, be a good father. And like this guy, like holding and staring at his child. And there's like a heart, um, you know, like a love thing. And then the, 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 the message was like heartbeat at 48 hours or 20 or 72, whatever it is. I, I you know, right. like. Like basically anti-abortion, we're just like holy shit, that's crazy. So yeah. I mean, a lot obviously, like I feel like Trump is just like knows that like the majority of America is actually pretty fucked, and is bringing out you know people, and he's going to stir the pot, and so that's what's getting more scary. Is it like oh, and then also like the fact that you know Obama has ran the country for the last eight years, and people are totally livid and upset that like. A black man has been in power you know so then they're like whoa and then it's like possibility to go to a woman which is like historically i mean not to get into like my you know support of or whatever but like historically would be a giant leap you know sure so i don't know it's just crazy you know i mean has that i was a burn i was i was a i was a burn burner though but yeah yeah yeah. I mean, but, has that has this situation has it made you want to like maybe use your microphone to say more stuff? Kind of yeah, to it? especially when we're in the South, and I was yeah, just thinking, like, yeah. I, I mean, I have family that like are Trump supporters, yeah. And, like my, I have family that are Republicans that are like from Oklahoma, and I just saw them on this trip, and I specifically was like, no politics. I could not want to talk about it at yeah. all because I don't. I, it's like I just cannot fathom anyone to support him, you know, to like his views and what you know. I just can't fathom it um and actually it was kind of funny my uncle was like you know i just we, we did this, this family tree thing and we found out that like we had you know back to the civil war we had family on both in the north and the south so we've always been on opposite spectrums and it's just like oh shit <laughs> 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 like we've always been on both sides of the fence and it's like oh man so yeah, anyhow yeah, yeah. yeah um but yeah i mean i've thought about it like especially through the south where it's just like man i i just don't and i hate to think or assume that like any one of my fans supports, you know, any kind of like, just, just anything that's, I guess, like not my views, which I think are just very, just like humanitarian, really, you know right. what I mean? It's just like, how can you not, how can you, how can you like not, I don't know, how can equal rights not be a thing that's just norm, you know, all of totally. these things that we all like are like, you know, the quote unquote liberal or whatever, like, it's like, how can you not like, why does that make sense to everybody? But, you know, but yeah. And then so, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's hard. But I mean, I've thought about it, being vocal about it, but I'm also like not, I, I don't, I often like fear the articulation of what I say. And like, I feel like it takes me a little, kind of like some time to like process. And I also feel like I'm mumble. And then so like, when I'm on a microphone in front of people. I, you know, it's like, I feel like oh, I'm just going to, crash and burn and like just yeah yeah all right let's play a song or something you know what i mean so right. i don't know but it is like i do feel like it's very important i feel like more so like i can articulate things on like via social media better you know somewhere i can think about it but i don't know but then i feel like there's some like there's a sense of responsibility too as like a you know a musician to like that has a voice to to kind of like be able to say that stuff but again through 20 years that hasn't really been what i've done and i don't know so it's tough, you know. Yeah, it is tough. <laughs> I, I know we were trying to like make some new shirts, and we we're like, "Should we do an anti-Trump shirt?" And then I was like, 
Everyone's gonna have a fucking anti-Trump shirt. Yeah, like totally. who in a punk band isn't gonna like? Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's it's true. Yeah, or hopefully, hopefully it is true. You know? Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. Do you? I mean, are you? Um, do you feel like you're on social media a lot, or do you feel like? Because I'd imagine someone like you, like with like a family and a wife, I, I'm not at all. Projects, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, and also the to age myself, but I feel like. You Dude, know, it's like I cannot like I'm not old, you know. I'm but turning like, 37 this month, so we're yeah, in the same. Totally, yeah. But I can't like. It's just not as easy for me to like to work social media into my life, you know. Yeah. Like I barely post photos on Instagram. When I'm on tour, I can be on top of it and I yeah. can like post things and and you know know what's going on. But like here, it's just yeah. Like nowadays, like when I'm not not on tour, I'm not much. Um, it kind of goes a little silent, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think media. it's okay, though. Like, you're yeah. living your life. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't know. Yeah, there's just other things that are just important, you know? Yeah. So sort of what, what's sort of your plan for, I guess, the rest of the year? Like, are you just kind of going to do this album cycle? Do you have any other projects you're working on? Um, I mean, I have a lot of collaborations and things that I'm sitting on. I have a lot of music that I've made that I'm sitting on. Um I have a lot of like quote unquote ambient works or just like demos and just things that didn't, you know, that didn't surface. I have a ton of music. So things that I didn't feel like when you're putting a record together, like this doesn't fit or that doesn't fit with this kind of collection of songs or whatever. Right. Like, even though it's all under the same, like, you know, at the heart of album, if it is my songs and my songwriting. So, you know, like in theory on paper, I could Do release whatever I want to release. Cause it's going to be, you know what it is. Um, but I'm trying to figure out like ways to kind of put that stuff out. Um, like I said, mentioned earlier that I have a label now, like that kind of thing. What's the label called? It's called EGR, Eastern Glow Recordings. Um, okay. So, and I did the Forward Return vinyl. That release, I did that. I did Tori's Distraction. I did like, you know, I, I've never been like, I have a label, you know, like right. this is out, you know, that kind of thing. But just like, I can put things out on my own uh, under this imprint, you know. But now I have distribution, so hopefully I'm going to have a little bit further reach. Um, but really, it's just like I just want to kind of reissue stuff and put out things that I can, and like, um, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, do this tour, this tour cycles, figure out kind of like you know what music I have. Um, I think we're going to do more touring, like beyond the touring that we're doing too, um, going back to Europe and you know that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, it seems like Album Leaf especially seems to do a lot of international stuff. Yeah, we do. I mean, it actually, excuse me, it actually works. Asia is our hotspot. That's like our big, Really? Yeah, that's where we do pretty well. So, Why is um, that, do you think? I don't know. Yeah? I mean, I started, like, literally, we started just like any other thing, you know, playing like the little, like, 100-cap room, you know, and then just moving up. Like, you know, there wasn't like any kind of, we've never had a break, you know, like, oh, this came out and then boom, you know, it's, right. it's never been that. It's always been from the, you know, ground up. There's never like any kind of hand-me-downs ever, you know, so, um, but it was the same in Asia. It's just kind of got a further reach. Um, but again, I mean, we've also been quote unquote off the map for, you know, six years. So we've kind of seen that, like that, like difference, you know, of like where we were in 2010 on the album cycle compared to where we are now. Right. Um, just that kind of, you know, just the landscape. Things have just changed, you know. So, and like I said, like there's so much touring, you know, um, other bands. Like, and I think we're like, we've been in the same town as Young the Giant for like the last like 
five nights or something really? like that. Yeah, something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, we're in the same town as Andrew Bird for two nights. So it's just like those kinds of like right mishaps where it's like that is obviously that's a split and like we're gonna go see this or we're gonna go see this, you know? Totally. It's like so. It must just also be so weird having like, because I remember touring kind of like early 2000s, late 90s, where mm-hmm. like that was so not the case. Yeah. Like, it was like that was the show. That was yeah. like the show of the week or whatever, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. yeah. Totally. Is that, I mean, is that kind of, I mean, I guess you're used to it or it's a gradual transition, but is that weird to think about? Like, cause I, yeah, just touring with a CD book, like no, no, like no map on your phone. Like. Oh yeah. No, I mean, and I, that's still ingrained in me where yeah. like I can literally drive across this country, like without yeah looking at my phone for any kind of guidance. I, there's venues I can get, you know, I could drive like right now I could leave and go to here and would not have to look at a map, you know, yeah. like know exactly where I'm going. Um, so yeah, I mean. It's kind of, that's kind of funny, you know, because like, yeah, back in like the nineties, I would like book tours on pay phones with like a little like rigged dialer and the JP and I, we always used to do all that stuff. Like we had this little dialer that would like trick the pay phone into thinking it was receiving cat or coins. Really? And yeah, that's what you, like, Wait, what entered, do you mean a dialer? It was called a dialer. It was like this Radio Shack piece. And what you had to do was install this chip, which like circuit bent it. Okay. Um, kind of like what everybody's doing now, all the circuit bending. Um, but it was this little device that I guess was supposed to hold numbers, phone numbers. Okay. Um, so you would program phone numbers in there and you can have like these numbers stored. So when you pick up the phone, you could just like hit that and it would call the number for you. Okay. You know, but you would bend it and trick it. And then it turned into like a, like the tone of dropping coins into the payphone. So the payphone signals that the coins are in by making a sound to itself? I guess so. Okay. So that's kind of like what it was. It's like, like if you ever like, I mean, if you can find one, (laughs) if you like, when you pick up a payphone and like put in the coins, you'll hear a tone in the the thing. So you would basically like dial a number and they'd say, please insert 75 cents. Then you push the the quarter button three times. (laughs) And it's like, thank you. And so we would look, I would literally like, book tours and like you know with a dialer in like the lobby of my job well i worked at a movie theater and when the movie was in i would like sit there and work on tours and you know it's kind of funny that's amazing so that and that and also back then too like doing it yourself you know uh diy or whatever like everybody had a scene within the scene you know there was like you know we would go to for instance like when we first met christopher like christopher kind of had his own circuit in Kalamazoo, Michigan. So you reach out to this guy and this guy then like puts together the show, brings all of his friends' bands together. All of a sudden we're all playing in this basement, puts out all the flyers. And then like that guy knows like somebody in, you know, Mississauga, Canada. So then like we go there and then like that, it's the same kind of circuit, like, you know, some kind of like public space or whatever. Like those were kind of, that's kind of how like touring was booked back then amongst bands that didn't, you know, before booking agents and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it seems, we talk about that a lot in the podcast. It seems like there's less, like, scenes now because things... But I think they exist because, like, I think they exist amongst, like, the younger kids. Because there's, like, this huge, like, backyard punk scene in L.A., in East L.A. specifically. Yeah. Um, Amongst, like, Chicanos. It's, like, it's, like, this huge, I think Vans actually kind of, like... um, uh, glamorized it a little bit. They did these little vignettes, these little pieces on it. Okay. And just kind of felt like it was a little like exploitive, but like it's this whole like thing that's like, you know, this whole huge backyard punk scene. And I, I remember there was this kid who was like, quote unquote, interning for me. Um, 
and I was just kind of showing him how to record and like file stuff on computers and you know, whatever. Um, he had this punk band and they would like play backyard parties, like all these backyard shows through East LA all the time. Really? So I feel like those scenes exist under our radar, but there's yeah. like, it's literally the teenagers that we don't know about, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah. It's, so it's the same, it's almost like the same kind of like cycle, like rehappening again, but us old guys now don't know about those things. You know? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we try to figure out how Snapchat yeah, totally, works. Yeah. I'm like, I don't get this. Can someone explain this to me I've again? never even opened Snapchat. I don't even, yeah. I cannot, I, yeah. Your kids will probably be able so, to show you soon. Totally, I know. I, I, actually, my three-year-old like runs runs an iPad like nobody's business. I'm sure. They like, hand him a phone. She's like, oh, here. <laughs> All of a sudden, he's watching like, you know, Little Einsteins or some like kids show or whatever like that. <laughs> All right. Nice. Just a nice. couple old pals sitting around <laughs> shooting the shit. Yep. That's just what we do here going off track. Uh, thank you so much to Jimmy Laval for coming by. Um, check out the new album leaf record, Between Waves. It is out now on Relapse, and Jimmy's touring a lot. He tours in Europe a lot. We talked about that. He's very popular over there. But he tours the States, too. He's around. But yeah, if you want some just cool, like... I don't know, like cleaning your apartment on a Sunday, kind of like background, not background, but like just like cool music that you can like kind of do other stuff to. It's good. I feel that that always sounds so inherently <laughs> insulting. Like put it on the background. I, I mean, like there, you know, there aren't a lot of vocals, so it's not something where like right. you really like, I mean that in a positive way. I that, like, that's the kind of stuff I like to listen to. I, you know, I, I feel like I'm just doing it. I'm not even joking. I'm constantly on the lookout for quote unquote background music yeah that like so like you know what a good example is like i i like classical music but only but not all classical music i find a lot of it really just too like intense you know? yeah but like so i'm, I'm so I, a lot of times i try to make playlists of like comfortable like piano sonatas and stuff yeah and um but i also <laughs> But I also am not 88 years old. I like my, it's, but it's hard to find that equivalent kind of vibe with modern music sometimes. It because is. a lot of it's too experimental. So, and I do like electronic music too. And I like, but an ambient is a real, uh, that could go either way. So I'm going to check it out. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I'm going to listen to it because I, I have a use for it on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of Steve Reich lately. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's got some good ambient ambient stuff, I believe. Do you want to finish this podcast or you want to just look at your phone? Sorry, I got an <laughs> important message. Uh, Sorry, Jonas, terribly distracted. No. Uh, Did your house burn down? No. This is your landlord. Down. Okay, it's not that important, I guess. <laughs> uh, okay, thanks, Jimmy, for coming by. <laughs> uh, buy the album leaf record. You can donate to us. Goingofftrack.com. Leave tweet, us, tweet, leave us a thing. Instagram, iTunes review, Do a thing with that. Blah blah. Tell your, Poster. tell all your friends. Poster make, in your dorm. Make your own going <laughs> off track artwork. Upload it. Tag us in it. <laughs> Get a tattoo. Yeah, diorama. Just if you need the original artwork, I'll be glad to send it to you for your tattoo. Just yes. email me. I'll give yeah. you a high res copy. Yes. <laughs> Thank God. And we'll be back next week with another podcast. <laughs>